Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it! He got it! Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time! He got it! Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the Phoenix Suns and the NBA. My name is Max McCauley, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Ash. David, how's it going, man? I'm doing good, Max. It's always good to be back. A pretty weird week in terms of wins and losses for the Suns, and uh, we're going into our first proper day of summer here. About 100 degrees for our US listeners. That's, I guess, here in Melbourne, though. Uh, Sydney and other places are... Literally on fire with bushfires and things. So, uh, yeah, a little bit hotter today down where I am in the South, Max. Wow, I didn't realize it got so hot there. But uh, we're going to take a break from focusing on the Suns' play this season, David. Uh, we're going to instead preview trade season. We are. Which is coming up shortly. Uh, we're going to start with a mini nerdcast to refresh the listeners on the important concepts and rules to know when evaluating potential trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're then going to move on to trade targets for the Suns both the guys whom everyone's discussing, as well as a few surprises that we each have. Yep. Um, and then after Did You Know, we're going to do a little recapping of the recent games by giving our leaderboard for the past week. So we'll talk about them a little bit, David. Yep. Uh, then we're going to finish up with a little review of the NBA landscape generally. How's the West shaping up? How are the league's contenders looking? Things like that. But before all that, let's uh, let's get a little bit of a recap here, David. Yeah, there's lots to get through in this one, and I'm excited to, to jump in. I know the listeners loved Nerdcast last time, so hopefully they like this one too, Max. But to recap the week, as I said, the Phoenix Suns are 10-12 and 12 after going 2-2 two and two this week. Uh, and Aaron Baines still missed all four games with a, a, a new injury, a calf muscle, Max. Uh, Ty played, but he's still bothered by an ankle, apparently. Uh, Diallo missed the first game of the week with an illness, I believe. Ricky Rubio, thankfully, was back and looks pretty healthy, which we'll get to a little bit later. And I believe Cam, McHale, and Frank were all listed on the injury report at some stage this week, Max, but all still played all four of those games. And and they were a win over Charlotte, 109-104. That was a weird one. Book and Kelly both had 23 each, and Rubio bounced back with 13 assists. Uh, the Orlando loss, 114-128. to 128. Frank had 23, and Booker had 17. Uh, another weird win, the Pelicans, 134-132. to 132. Max Book had 44-8-9, and 9, and Rubio had 13-15. and 15. And then the Houston loss yesterday, Max, 109-115. to 115. Book had 35 again. Rubio 10 and 13, Kelly had 19, and Dario had 13, 12, and 5 assists. So not bad for a 2-2 road trip before they go back home for four more games before Aiton is back, Max. But third in the division, 1.5 games in front of Sacramento and 5.5 behind the Clippers. 
eighth in the conference. Again, just 0.5 ahead of OKC and 0.5 behind Minnesota. And we've be- we've dropped below average max. We're 16th now in the NBA mm. uh, with the same differences. 0.5 in front of OKC and 0.5 of a game behind Minnesota. But as you said, we're going to jump into some other stuff first this episode. So before we get to it a little bit later... Uh, after talking about all the trades and stuff, I thought I'd just ask, what stood out for the week amongst those four games for you, Max? It's a good question. It was a weird bunch of games, I would say. Yep. Um, I think that Devin Booker coming on a little bit in the last two games, maybe a lot of it is a better way to put it, mm-hmm. is probably the most important development because you know we're not going to win many of these games with uh, our roster not healthy unless he's playing like a superstar. Yeah. So to see him play the way he played uh, New Orleans and Houston, that was good to see. You know, they did enough, I guess I'd say. Um, they're still, you know, firmly in the playoff mix. So they're setting themselves up for a win. They get fully healthy to have a chance to make a nice little run here. Um, all right, but let's get to our, let's get a mini Nerdcast, David. As you said, people liked it last time. I'm hoping they like this little mini one. Yep. Uh, I think it's important as we're getting to trade season, everyone kind of understands the rules we're all playing by. So, David, how about you start us off with, you know, not only uh, why we're doing this podcast now, the significance of December 15th coming up, but also the Suns' current cap situation. Yeah, so it is December 15 coming up, probably before we next record, Max. So, a uh, perfect time to jump into this. In the CBA, guys, there's a three-month wait on signing free agents, but there's also a, a December 15 date for everyone that signed in the last gone off season. So whatever comes first, essentially out of December 15 and three months since you signed on the dotted line. So uh, from September 15 until December 15, we wait and all those guys who just signed new deals cannot be traded to new teams. So that's why you often hear about the December 15 date max uh it's the earliest that all these guys can be traded i'm not sure what the percentage is this year but it often means that a giant part of the nba landscape becomes available and that's why we start talking trades yeah uh i think it's pretty high this year if i remember correctly last year's free agency was like half the league so <laughs> yep. i think it is a large part of it um all right i'll get into the next uh, probably the most important concept to understand when evaluating potential trades uh, the salary matching rules. Mm-hmm. Actually, Dave, before I get into these, do you want to go over our cap situation and then I'll get into this? Sure, sure. So I looked very quickly at 2020 cap because a lot of things can change, obviously, with these trades, uh, first round picks, all kinds of things like that. But I had a quick look, you know, I think the most, you know, majority of the fan base would kind of look at a core of Booker, Aiton, Kelly, Rubio, Mikhail, Cam, uh, everyone lives Ty Jerome. Uh, Jalen Lecue's on a, a four-year guaranteed deal, essentially. And then I just took one of Diallo, Aliakobo, or Javon. Just say one of them is around max. That gets mm-hmm. to you around $85 million in salary going into the offseason. And it's projected at the moment to be a $116 million cap. So that's around $31 million in space. There are a few things like roster charges and things like that that probably drop you below 30 mil or if you keep one of those other guys that I mentioned before. So you're getting down to around 28. But, you know, the main point that I wanted to make there, not counting Frank, not carrying, counting Baines, who's a free agent, not carrying uh, Dario Saric, although, you know, his cap hold is 
10.4 million. We touched on cap holds, I believe, in Nerdcast last time, but essentially that's his charge against the salary cap, which would drop us down to around $18 million in space if we wanted to think about bringing Dario back, Max. And, you know, we could bring him back over the cap, I guess, for everyone listening who probably followed last time. Very, very similar to the Kelly Oubre situation there. So you'd still have around 18-ish mil for free agents if that's the direction that the Suns decided to go down. But, you know, you trade, say, Tyler, Frank, picks and prospects, which we'll get to in a little bit. Max, I think you'll outline for us, you know, why that's looking like the the package for any of these guys. And none of those guys are counted in that 31 mil space that I mentioned. So that essentially eats up all your space if you bring in, say, a Kevin Love, which we'll get to in a minute, who's on more than 31 million. Uh, And that's where your exceptions come in, which we'll get into a little bit. But it is kind of a a golden opportunity with that Tyler expiring and just with the way that the cap situation looks at the moment for the Suns to potentially make a a win-now-ish type trade, uh, which will affect the cap depending on who the player is, we'll just say for now, Max. Yeah, it definitely depends. (laughs) All right, so I'll get into... Like I said, probably the most important concept to understand here, which is the complicating factor of the salary matching rules. Mm -hmm. You can't just trade any player you want for any player you want. You kind of can if both teams have open cap space to take the players on in a trade, but that's very rare because almost every team operates at or above the salary cap during the season. So if either team in the trade is over the cap, the team must match salaries with the player it's sending out, uh, with the players it's taking back. Mm -hmm. Uh, the match does not need to be exact. It just needs to be within a certain percentage, depending on the salary that the team is sending out. So if a team is sending out up to $6.5 million, it can bring back up to 175% of that, plus 100K. For example, if the Suns trade Dario's $3.5 million by itself, they can bring back up to $6.2 million. Yep. If a team is sending out between 6.5 and 19.6, it can bring back the outgoing salary plus $5 million. Uh, our best salary matching contact you referred to Tyler Johnson, he's at 19.2. So he's just below that 19.6 line. Yep. So he can bring back his 19.2 plus another 5, 24.2 million. Uh, if a team is sending out over 19.6, then it can bring back 125% of that plus 100K. That will apply to any trade where we aggregate Tyler with anyone. Yep. Uh, assuming it's Dario, that would be 22.7 million total. They can bring back up to 28.4. Now, the second most important concept, in my opinion, to understand, David, your own team's assets, which I believe you've ranked here for the Suns. I have, and I, you know, I've tried to be reasonable with it. I haven't included Booker, Aiton, Kelly, uh, Baines, mm-hmm. or Rubio for for this discussion, purely because sure. you know, from what I'm seeing from fans, none of those guys are, are really included in any of the packages. And and as we'll get to, there's there's plenty of other ways, particularly with Tyler Johnson's contract, to get up to the salary. Uh, that you need with the matching. So I've removed those guys and really just looked at December 15 type deals and and what other teams might want. So straight off the bat, Max, I've got tier one, Tyler Johnson's $19 million expiring. And then tier two, I've got our first round pick this year. I've also got Mikhail and I've got Cam. Do you agree with or disagree with any of those or the order that I've put them in, Max? So real quick, just to clarify, are the tiers based on the likelihood of trade or are they based on like how 
valuable as it is. I'm going valuable. Obviously, Tyler Johnson's uh, 19 mil isn't something that teams are clamoring to get in terms of his talent to contract. But if you're a team looking to clear space, then it is a very, very valuable get and then valuable for the Suns trading out as well, Max. So that's kind of why I've put it in its own tier. Yeah, the only question is whether other teams around the league may value Mikel in that tier as well. Because I think a lot of teams would look at him and be like, oh, we could turn that guy into something. Yep, yep. Um, so that's possible. Uh, but I think generally I agree. I think Tyler definitely, I mean, he'd be tier one in either conversation of most likely or, you know, most sought after. Mm-hmm. So I think it makes sense to uh, to kind of put him by himself there. Yep. And then in the tier below, I've put all other protected future firsts which we might see the Suns do you know hopefully they don't throw out any unprotected picks but you know I I really wanted to make that delineation in between tier two and tier three I I still think our first this year would be more valuable to teams just because uh, you know it comes sooner and there's probably a little bit more variability if especially if we're trading around now rather than the deadline in terms of what might happen with that pick uh, and I'm glad you mentioned Mikhail as possibly being tier one, because I think he definitely rates above Cam Johnson just right at this point in terms of what other NBA teams might think. And then in tier four, so all those first by themselves in tier three, tier four, I've put in Saric, Frank, and Diallo. And that pretty much just kind of a combination of uh, expirings essentially for teams, but also decent vets that might be able to play on some of those teams, which, you know, we are talking tier four here, but there might be some teams that find a use for those guys on, on one year to rentals, Max. So sorry, did I miss you mention Ty Jerome or did you not mention him? I've got him leading our next tier, Max. Interesting. So you, wait, wait, hold on. So you think Ty Jerome is below those guys? In terms of whether they would be sought after in a trade, you know, obviously Ty might be thrown in, in a trade, but I think, you know, Saric and Frank in particular, they're kind of five mil in salary. I just think they're more likely to be put in a trade uh, and teams therefore be looking for them. But, you know, I know you're high on Ty Jerome, so I'm not going to disagree. Yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's insane, to be honest with you, that Frank would be above him in this making. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I get, in terms of him most more likely to be traded, I think it would make sense to have him above. Yeah. But I think Ty Jerome is, uh, he'd be in the tier with the future first, I think, Okay. Uh, for me. Yep. I, mean, I mean, you know, he hasn't shown very much. He's kind of a mystery box, but I'm sure there were teams that liked him in the draft that would take a you know, chance on him. So yeah, I well, think he has more value than, than maybe, maybe the same as Sarich, but I mean, you know, I think I've been pretty clear that I'm not exactly on the Frank uh, bandwagon right now. So maybe that's just what I'm taking offense to. Yeah, and I'd just throw in that, you know, Frank's obviously got that team option next year. So teams would probably, wouldn't mind his $5 million uh, expiring and and I just think you know we'll get into Ty later but I just don't think he's set the world on fire yet but you probably put it right he is a a mystery box of sorts and then I guess the rest of that tier and they're all really just throw in mystery boxes as you say Max you've got Ali Kobo which a team might think they can do something with uh, Javon Carter still a team might you know find a place for him and then Jalen Lequeux as well is a, a bit of a mystery box that might get thrown in just in, as a sweetener in a deal Max. Yep, that makes sense. It's, I, I think it makes sense to have him pretty low on this because I think that you know the Suns wouldn't really trade him right now. It doesn't make a lot of sense because he hasn't really accrued value yet. Mm-hmm. They, they, they'd wait to see him do a little bit more. Maybe teams take a little more notice. But all right, we'll move on to the next part of this. Uh, maybe the next most important thing to evaluate, although it might be tied with what we just did, and that's kind of what the other team in a hypothetical trade would be looking for. Yep. 
Uh, my example here, I've seen some talk about Paul Millsap, who's been awesome this year and obviously will be great for us, but I just don't understand why Denver would ever trade him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're trying to win the title this year, and he's been one of their best players so far. It just doesn't make a lot of sense from them. So it's important to put your uh, you know, yourself in the other team's shoes. Yeah. Uh, and in that sense, the teams you want to look at are those that are kind of awful or rebuilding or could end up that way. Uh, I just made a really quick list. Knicks, Warriors, Cavs, Hawks, Pelicans, Grizzlies, Wizards, Bulls, Hornets, Thunder, and then maybe Pistons, Kings, Spurs, and Blazers, depending on how sh- uh, things shake out. You don't really want to look at the clear playoff teams because they're not really going to be looking to trade their players who are good. Yeah, I just think, you know, if we're talking purely December 15 here, your initial list made a, a lot of sense, whereas some of those other teams probably aren't going to be pulling the trigger until maybe the trade deadline and things look a little bit clearer for them. But that's an, another podcast for a, a completely another time, Max. <laughs> it is. All right, Dave, let's move on to our next part of this, which are some of the more relevant salary cap exceptions that would be important in, in the circumstances we make a big trade. Yeah. So I guess the... Uh, the, these we ran through in the last Nerdcast and, you know, I, I still saw a lot of confusion in, in free agency in terms of the exceptions that we could use after signing Cali Oubre. Um, so, you know, probably the key point here is you're either a, a room team or an over the cap team, uh, or I guess you could be a, ta- a tax team, but we're not really going to talk about the tax with the Suns because I just don't think it's a realistic, uh, situation that the Suns might find themselves in this offseason or or want to put themselves in. So, you know, you've either got the room exception or you've got the mid-level plus the biannual exception, Max. So I had a quick look at the math on this. Uh, I think if we are talking about the Suns still being a salary room team, like I mentioned before with the cap situation, uh, they'd have around $5 million, um, you know, and it can go up to two years on that contract for a room exception type free agent, and you can split that out amongst multiple guys. If they go over the cap, which is what we're about to get into with a lot of these guys, we're pretty much going to be an over the cap team with all of these big names that they might target. Then you get the mid-level plus the biannual. The mid-level can be for three years. The biannual can be for two. And the mid-level is getting up there, Max. It's around $10 million uh, per three years at the moment. I think you can go 5% raises even on that. And the biannual is $3.85 million. So some pretty handy money there, particularly if you're a fan of, say, bringing back an Aaron Baines or something like that, Max, mm-hmm. after signing one of these big guys uh, after trading for them or taking on their contract that goes for a little while. And then we've got bird rights, Max. So you've got full bird rights and early bird rights. Uh, early bird rights is if you've been on your contract for two years. Full bird rights is three years. And that's going to come in with a guy like Danilo Gallinari, I believe. Uh, They have a cap hold and you can go over the cap. Again, Suns fans should be very familiar with that. Uh, With Kelly Oubre, who they had full bird rights on, could pay him whatever he wanted and go over the cap after signing everyone else, Max. Yeah, and you alluded to it with Danilo Gallinari, but it really is important to understand the nuance that bird rights uh, can be transferred in trades. Mm Mm-hmm. So Danilo Gallinari, I think he's on like a five-year contract the last year of it, something like that. He's certainly over the three years required for bird rights. So if the Suns traded for him, he makes uh, 22.6 this season. Uh, they would be able to, even though they only have $18 million in cap space next season, they can tr- uh, sign him up above the cap to whatever extent they want because they would have the, 
Through your football right and right. and act as an over the cap team as well, which is getting yeah. getting really nerdy here. But just by simply trading for him and keeping, I think his cap holds like thirty three million dollars max. So all of a sudden, you you're basically just pretending like you're an over the cap team with his cap hold straight away, uh, and removing you know that chance of being a, a salary room team. But you get all those other exceptions to add other little bits and pieces. So that's kind of if we do see a trade like this, that's where Suns fans should really start seeing this team uh, trying to piece themselves together for the next few years. All right, we just broke the nerd meter with that last one. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's go on to talking about the actual targets here. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the ones that people are discussing, and we'll start with the one that people are discussing the most. David, that's Kevin Love. He makes $28.9 million this season, 13.1, 31.3, 31.3 again, and then 28.9 at age 34 in 2022-23. David, what has been your general reaction to these rumors about Kevin Love? Uh, please no. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're talking about him the most because there was that report. That's kind of the way that these cycles work as soon as a, a little bit of uh, stuff comes out. Even though, you know, some smart people are looking at players uh, before reports like these. I think it was Shams that released the report that uh, the Cavs were looking or, or listening to offers for Kevin Love. But, you know, it's really that four years uh, or three years after this year that's a, a killer and he's, he's 31 years old. Um, you basically become a an over-the-cap team even all the way up to 2021. You'd be pretty limited in 21-22, I think, Max. I think you'd have kind of 80 million just in Love, Booker, and Rubio, which isn't great. Uh, and he's still on the books in 22-23, which is when uh, Aiton and Mikael Bridges are due their extensions, which is the real important one, which I think, you know, I think we're going to agree on this, but we, we will find out, you know, in terms of the length of these contracts, that's kind of the important year where you could maybe take a swing for the fence, hint, hint at the player I'm, I'm talking about here, Max, but still have that flexibility to go again uh, in a few years' time. Yeah, and I think the other guy that is worth mentioning here is Kelly Oubre. Uh, mm-hmm. He's played so well that I think the Suns are going to want to keep him around. Yep. Uh, he's only only through next season, but I think it's, you know, if, if he continues anything like what he's doing right now, it's hard to see him uh, being let go. Yeah. And he'll likely also be more expensive because he's played himself into that uh, level, maybe more like a $20 million level. So if you're, if you're trading for Kevin Love, um, you're locking yourself into basically this core with Kevin Love for almost the rest of Booker's contract. I think aside from maybe one year uh, at the end yep. of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you better be damn sure that Kevin Love is going to make a serious impact and, you know, get you where you want to be, which, you know, I think, you know, I don't know if this is realistic or not, but the Suns probably want to be in championship contention by the end of Booker's contract, I would guess. Yep. Um, and I don't think Kevin Love is really, you know, the, you know, the turnkey that gets you there, I guess the way I'd put it. So I understand that, you know, it would be, you know, if we trade for Kevin Love, this season would be more fun. Likely next season would be more fun. But I think the long-term effects of it would not be so good, especially if DeAndre Ayton doesn't improve defensively because yeah, Kevin Love is not going to be what gets you there in, on defense. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It would be pretty fun this year, particularly with what we see Suns fans complaining about. Like the, the rebounding, mm-hmm. for instance, would probably be significantly better with a guy like Kevin yep. Love starting at power forward. He's also got that stretchability and is probably going to knock down uh, shots, even though he hasn't been great this year, but at a better clip than, say, Dario Saric and, and definitely Frank Kaminsky. But longer term, the overall athleticism, 
Uh, the defense, as you noted, next to DeAndre Ayton, if he doesn't kind of, you know, take a huge leap forward, uh, are, are the real concerning things. But it, more so than that, as you said, is, is kind of locking yourself into that situation. You know, maybe it helps us get the seventh or eighth seed this year, but what does it really do to the future flexibility of the team? And, and that's why these questions are, are really hard to answer. But another question that's really hard to answer is kind of what would Cleveland want, Max? Because as you said at the top of the show, that's the, the kind of shoes you have to put yourself in uh, when you get to these situations. I think the one way that Suns fans will end up talking to themselves into Kevin Love in a trade is because it's not going to cost very much generally, especially given how big his name is. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the contract, which we've talked about a lot, the age, which we've talked about, he's just, he's kind of a neutral value on his contract or maybe even a little sub-neutral. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's how James Jones views the situation, but that's how <laughs> I view the situation. So, you know, you're going to, obviously Tyler Johnson's got to be in the trade just because of his money. Yeah. That 19.2 is key to get up there and expire, so Cleveland would be fine taking it on. Cleveland would love to take it on. Uh, you're going to have to probably throw in Sharich for a couple reasons. One, you're not really going to have the money left to resign him mm-hmm. if you do this. Second, they play the exact same position, and, and you know Kevin Love starting over him. I don't think Sharich is going to uh, probably dig that yep. so much. Yep. So I think he's in the trade, and then you need like one more guy. Those two together don't quite get you there. They're like just under Kevin Love's salary. Yep. So you need one more guy. It's going to be probably a Kobo or Carter just because of the logjam they have at that position. Um, I, my guess would be probably a Kobo because Cleveland would want him more. Yeah. And then uh, I think maybe like a, I don't know, what do you think? Would a second get you there or do you need like a really bad first? Uh, maybe a really bad first. The, the interesting thing here, it is, you know, these are just our opinions and, and this observation mm-hmm. is just one other individual that I saw online. But I did see a Cleveland person saying his favorite package for Kevin Love would be uh, Tyler Johnson's expiring, Cam Johnson. Uh, and Mikael Bridges or picks. So he's only one person, but I am interested to see what the gulf between what Suns fans would realistically give up and what Cavs fans would realistically want for Kevin Love and, uh, you know, how wide that gulf is. Because I think right now, maybe Cavs fans are expecting a little bit too much for Kevin Love and, and definitely too much for where I would get to a point where I'd kind of go, yeah, okay, I get it. Remember the point earlier I made about when you were figuring out fake trades, you got to analyze from the other team's point of view as well? <laughs> exactly. Uh, that, that particular Cavs fan has not learned that uh, lesson <laughs> yet. It doesn't sound like. But no. Uh, yeah, no. I And the other thing with Kevin Love, too, is I don't think it's going to be like this huge market for him of teams just begging to take on that contract. Uh, he happens to just fit a need for the Suns, kind of, and also is James Jones' friend and you know, he definitely fits James Jones's mold of what he thinks we need. I think. Yeah. So the Suns are you know particularly well positioned to want to trade for him, and I think are definitely the favorites to trade for him if he's traded for. Uh, it's hard to look on the league and find a lot of other teams that would be interested. Yeah, the, in him. I think the real key point on that, I think it was Woj who who kind of put this report out. Maybe he was even the one that broke it, and I got that wrong with with Shams before Max, but. He listed a group of teams and it was only about four deep and even a couple on that were pretty questionable. So you kind of have to wonder how much that was uh, the Cavs kind of trying to beef up. Uh, Do you remember what those were? uh, Boston and Denver that were the two that I particularly went. Yeah, no chance. No chance. (laughs) Uh, Portland was 
the third and I can't remember okay. if there was a fourth off the top of my head but yeah Boston and, and Denver were the two that I kind of went hang on a minute I, I'm not sure they really make sense in this group so yeah I think what you're saying is true I think the market is going to be pretty thin and therefore uh, that does dictate what you can eventually get for a guy like Kevin Love because essentially once you put it out there like that even though he does have a lot of years left on his contract they're kind of on the clock now to to try and get something done if you're going to put something so public out there for, for Kevin Love like that but should we touch on the injuries at the end of all of these guys Max and just give a bit of a comparison of, of what our thoughts are there. Yeah, real quick, I just want to say on the Portland subject, they make some sense uh, basketball fit wise, but they're already like ten million dollars over the luxury cap. I, I don't I, or luxury tax. I don't see it happening. I, I don't think they're going to take on that much money. It's going to be ridiculously expensive for them. Yeah, my my hope for Portland, particularly with Rodney Hood going down uh, with the Achilles, is if they trade Kevin Love or trade for Kevin Love and then sign a guy like Jamal Crawford to uh, make up for the Rodney Hood injury, Max. All of a sudden, you've just got this kind of ramshackle bunch of guys. you got Carmelo Anthony, Jamal Crawford, Kevin Love. Uh, Hassan Whiteside would probably have to go out in a Kevin Love deal, but if they could somehow hold on to him as well, that's a pretty hilarious uh, contending playoff team, Max. If there are any Portland Blazers fans listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Kevin Love's injury history is sort of, it's, it's interesting, David. It's sort of on, off and on. Last it season, is. he missed most of the season. He's had some other seasons with some problems even early on. But some seasons, he's been extra durable. So it's kind of like a hit or miss sort of thing. It is. I had a look at for all these guys. So I'll kind of touch on it uh individually as we go through but for Kevin Love 674 games out of a possible 886 that's 76% of the time Kevin Love is on the floor in the last four seasons though 218 over 328 available games so an average of around 55 games a season which obviously isn't great but all of these guys sit around uh, that realm at the moment in the last four years, unfortunately. But the only thing that I don't mind about Kevin Love is his injuries. Are, he's had two hand kind of impact injuries, Max, that have put him out for a considerable time. And then more recently, it was the shoulder. Whereas when we get into the other guys, we're talking about kind of knees and ankles and things and stuff. And that's where I get really uncomfortable. So, you know, you could make a case that Kevin Love's just been a little bit unlucky and as you said has a history in some seasons of actually being quite durable so there is a, a small I guess positive for love versus some of these other guys in terms of injury history might be a little bit overblown bit of recency bias as well with his last season perhaps Max yeah I always prefer players to have upper body injuries to lower body the lower body ones of legs just make me nervous yeah. when you get older Upper body, uh, you know, it's less effective on your on your movement, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, let's move into somebody else who has had injury issues in his career. It's Blake Griffin, um, who I think, this just to start off, I'll go into his, his numbers in a second, but I think it's unlikely that Detroit trades him. Detroit's trying very hard to get the eighth seed. That's what they care about. Yep. And uh, trading Blake Griffin would not be conducive to that. But assuming for the purposes of now that he is uh, eligible, he is 34.2 this season, 34.2 after that, 36.6. And then a player option for 39 in 2021, 20, 22 at age 32. So he's a little younger than Love, and he also expires a year earlier, but he makes more money, David. Yes, exactly, which is important because you look at the money versus money and you kind of go, whoa, another $5 million on top of Kevin Love. But, you know, he is that year younger. 
uh, and the non-extra year plus the player option are, are kind of interesting for Blake Griffin. So that lines up a little bit more with, you know, when Rubio's money comes off the books and before Mikhail and Aiton um, uh, do their extensions. So, you know, and you would also have two more years of Devin Booker uh, with pretty much a, a healthy salary cap sheet um, unless you did other stupid things once Blake Griffin comes off. So, you know, that's the interesting thing. I think you make the interesting point there with Detroit. You know, they'd, they'd have to make a decision to tear it down and then they'd want kind of multiple picks and prospects, which obviously, obviously the Suns could probably uh, give to them in, in some combination, Max. But, you know, he's probably my favorite uh, just because of all those reasons that we just mentioned, but he also may be the, the least likely. I just think he would kill it in this system that Monty's created and, and with the players that we have and, you know, injury again, we'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, he's probably my favorite player of the three and uh, probably the, the best fit uh, when healthy max. Yeah, I agree with all that. The problems with him are one, he's probably the scariest from injury standpoint. Yep. And then two, he uh, would cost the most to get in a trade as you alluded to. And, you know, you're getting up to 34.2. You're going to have to throw Mikel or Cam in there probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's no other way you'd get him. So it'd probably be a similar deal to Love. You're just adding in one of those guys and maybe the pick's better Yep, is, is the difference. And uh, that's just a little rich, you know. I you know, I, I do think that teams tend to overrate young players in, in trades like this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're not, you're not going for a 27-year-old, you know, superstar, spotless injury guy. You're going for a big risk here. Um, so if you're going to throw in Mikel or Cam, you got to be damn sure you, you think he can play those three seasons and really affect things for you. Yep. Um, the other thing I'll mention with him, and tell me if you think I'm crazy here, the player option here for 39 in 2021-22, if he's playing really well, he's only 32, is there a chance he opts out of that to try to get like a four-year, $100 million maybe? It's not impossible, right? I've got the biggest wide smile on my face because I was about to throw you the exact <laughs> same question, Max. I've got right here. Could he opt out slash extend 21-22? So whether it's for the Suns, which I'm not sure whether, what you were alluding to here. Were you, were you thinking maybe he would opt out and try and uh, test his market? Or were you thinking maybe him and the Suns could work out a more long-term thing, Max? You know, either way, I was just thinking we, when we evaluate Blake Griffin's contract, we tend to assume that 39 is going to be locked in because most players accept player options for that much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just think it's interesting. I think we should explore the scenarios you just brought up, both of those, uh, with this particular player because it's interesting. I think it's actually a possibility. I'm actually thinking more like he gets he does not want to be here, gets fed up and just leaves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the really interesting thing, I've got it here in front of me looking at it, and this might change with the... China situation and, and a reduction in ratings and things, meaning there's there's less basketball revenue. But we actually jumped from 109 this year to 116, which is pretty significant. It's not that huge jump that we had a few years ago, but it's a pretty big jump to what we're used to. And then at the moment, it's projected to jump to 125 in that year huh. where Blake can opt out. So whilst $39 million right now seems like an incredible amount of money, when you look at the maxes, which are calculated off the salary cap max, it, it might be a scenario that's uh, in Blake's consideration, I think, if he stays healthy and is playing really, really well, as you said. DeAndre Ayton's max extension is going to be a heart attack, David. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like $35 million. And I'm just going to be like, oh, God, here we go. Um, all right. Do you want to run down anything else on Blake? I would just say, you know, I, I agree with you. I think basketball-wise, he's awesome. If you could guarantee me perfect health from him, I would do a trade like Tyler, Dario, uh, you know, Kobo plus Mikel 
or Cam for him. If you can guarantee me his health, he's just I think it's worth it with him. Um, but you can't guarantee me that, so uh, I'm going to probably pass. Although if the trade is made, I will be crossing my fingers and excited about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll just touch on again. He sits at 76% again, exactly the same as Kevin Love over his career. Wow. Uh, and in the last four seasons, slightly above Kevin Love because he had a really decent season last year in terms of games played. I think he played like 75 or something like that. So he's averaged 57 games a season over his last four. We said it before, knees the I guess bigger problem with Blake you know he had a a knee before his NBA career even started so you know that's going to be the concern with him two things kind of etch in my mind one is that giant brace that he wore in a playoff game last year with you know Mm. four or five sleeves over it it just looked absolutely ridiculous when he came to the bench and pulled it all off and uh, that is always going to stay with me as kind of not being able to get over that. But then on the flip side, you know, I see a highlight of him the other day going baseline and still dunking like we see Blake Griffin dunk. So in terms of overall athleticism, when healthy, he still shits all over these other two guys, which is an exciting prospect if you can have him healthy. So, you know, I'll throw the question to you now before we go to the last guy, because it'll probably be obvious after that. Assuming the packages are relatively the same, maybe an extra pick here and there, how do you rank the three? And then we'll go into the last guy, Max. Uh, If the packages are all about the same, then I'd go Blake, then Gallo, then Love. Mm -hmm. Uh, But factory and price, and and we'll get to that now. Gallo, to me, is the most sensible guy to go for. Uh, do you want to just go into him now? I can I can start with this stuff. Yeah, I agree exactly the same with you. So let's let's do Gallo now. He makes twenty two point six million this season. He is a free agent next season at age thirty two. He currently plays for the Thunder. He's played pretty well for them this season, David. Mm-hmm. He's a really good shooter. He's also kind of an underrated scorer generally. Um, he doesn't really get to the rim at all, but he can shoot mid-range, things like that. Not much of a defender, David. I don't know. What's your assessment of his fit on this team? Uh, all shooting and scoring, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, he's kind of wing size. Uh, when you look at these three guys, he would be playing the power forward, but you might have some of the, the same problems in terms of the deficiencies that he has and, and not fixing some of those things. But he'd be an upgrade on what the Suns currently have rather than, I guess, a, a fix to some of their problems, which Love and Blake might be able to do. So he, we would essentially plug and play him, pretty much stay playing the exact same way that we currently are, but probably have a guy that's a little bit more counted on, both as a uh, you know stretch big efficiency-wise. I think he shoots in the 40s from three. Not sure if that's still the same this season, Max. I don't have it in front of me. but um, And then just as a reliable scorer, you know, we've talked about it with Saric all the time. He's kind of been very up and down, based on how the team's going. Whereas Gallo's a a little bit more of a consistent second, third option that you can rely upon, Max. He is shooting 41.8% from three this season on 6.7 attempts. So that's very good. Uh, I think, to me, I can't wait to see Aiton come back and see what he looks like. If he looks like Sacramento Aiton for, you know, the next stretch of, uh, you know, 15 games after he's back. um, And we think he's really taking a leap on defense and can be kind of the anchor then I think the Gallo trade becomes much more enticing because, you know, Sarich's reasonable defense thing is less important. Mm-hmm. If you play, you know, if you, have a, if you have a five who's a good defender in there with Gallo. So I think in that scenario, you, if you trade Sarich and you trade Tyler and you probably throw in a, you know, this year's pick probably mm-hmm. to get it done. And that's something that I'd be really interested in because, again, 
You're not tying yourself into anything here. He's a free agent next season. But you're also, as we spoke about earlier, acquiring his bird rights. So you're giving him yourself the opportunity to, if the, if it goes very well, say the Suns make a, you know, they make the playoffs and have like a surprise seven-game series against someone or even sneak into the second round somehow, and Gallo's a big part of that, then I think that you leave yourself the opportunity to sign him back kind of at whatever number it takes. Yeah, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. The only thing that I've, I've been pushing back on a little bit here is, you know, everyone seems to be on the Gallo train and everyone seems to be off the Kevin Love train. It's it's very obvious why, you know, naturally as, as people, we're, we're pretty risk averse. And if you uh, get two choices, one of which you can, uh, you know, kind of take a look at a guy before you make these pretty key decisions, mm-hmm. you know, we're always going to take, you know, that situation. But, you know, in terms of injuries, he's actually the worst out of all three. He's played 64% of games over his career uh, and in the last four seasons, only averaged 51 games a season. He's done both uh, ACLs of the knee and also had ankle problems. So he might actually be uh, the most concerning out of the three, uh, not as high profile as the other two. So maybe doesn't get talked about as much. But you know, when you bring in that angle and also talk about that it might cost you around about the same as Kevin Love, even though I understand that, you know, getting to take a look and, and not being locked into that long-term deal, it may still cost you the same in the trade. And therefore, you may, if it does work out, you may actually still end up paying him, you know, around about what Kevin Love is money-wise and years-wise. So the difference isn't that much, Max, other than the fact that you get to take the look, which I totally understand. But, you know, it, it is concerning to me a little bit. Yeah, if you're looking purely just at this season, the risk is about... It's probably worse with him. He's more risky than the other two guys are just for this season. Yeah. It's just the fact that you know he expires. Just it mitigates so much of the risk that Griffin and Love have because if Griffin and Love don't work out, they don't work out for you for a while. <laughs> yes. And if Gallo doesn't work out, you uh, wash your hands of it, say, well, we tried, and then you do something else in free agency. Uh, do you want to talk about some of the other little bit less spoke about uh, guys on Sun Twitter, but still talked about? Yeah, I was seeing other names. I think the other three that I've seen a lot of are, are Laurie Markkinen, who's 22 years old and only has one more year on his rookie deal. Obviously, the Arizona connection is probably why we why we see him a fair bit. But you know, I want to shout out our good friend Chris here again and, and say anyone who's talking about Laurie Markkinen coming to the Suns, go look at his numbers versus Frank Kaminsky both for the career uh, and particularly this year. And if you're getting mad at Frank and want a replacement, I'm not sure Laurie Markkinen <laughs> is the guy other than maybe upside at being 22 years old. But as you said before, Max, we tend to pay a little too much attention to that. But, you know, what would he cost even, Max? I- I'm hopeless at this stuff, but, you know, Chicago would probably want picks or or another, you know, a prospect for prospect swap, I suppose. Well, this is so hard, not only because it's hard to value Laurie Markkinen, but also because Chicago is one of the most uh, eccentric teams, <laughs> maybe idiosyncratic teams in the league is how I'd put it. Yeah. They don't seem to value the same things that most people value. So I don't, I have no idea. I, I mean, a prospect for prospect makes some sense. Um, you know, maybe it's you know, one of Cam or Mikel, which I would absolutely not do, mm-hmm. but I could see why they would do it. Because, you know, their team doesn't make a whole lot of sense as presently uh, constituted. <laughs> yep. They could use another wing. I think they would maybe jump with a chance to get a wing prospect. So if there are any Suns fans out there who would like to get Laurie Markkinen for Mikel or Cam, I think that's probably a realistic thing. Mm-hmm. But it ain't something I'm doing, especially not Cam. I mean, Cam's basically just a better version of him right now. <laughs> exactly. Definitely. The next one is LaMarcus Aldridge. We know his history with the Suns. He's now 34 and he has another year with a 7 mil guarantee on it. So it is low-ish 
risk, but, you know, if San Antonio do decide to blow it up, which they're not, um, you know, they don't have a reputation of doing mid-season, Max, but, you know, I don't see any real kind of strength theory. He doesn't stretch the floor. Uh, you know, a lot of people have smartly observed that at the moment, DeAndre Ayton's almost just another version of LaMarcus Aldridge. So I, I'm not sure whether I would have any interest there. Do you, do you Max? No, none whatsoever, to be honest with you. I actually think from a contract standpoint, he's actually one of the more attractive guys because it's not, not that painful. Yeah. Uh, the problem with him is that he just doesn't seem like he's that good at basketball anymore. <laughs> uh, if you look at the on-off stuff with the Spurs, like they're way the hell worse with him on the floor. Way worse. It's one of the big reasons why they've had a bad season is because you know, he's just been kind of tanking them when he's playing. Yeah. I'm looking at his on-off right now. Uh, it's minus 8.4, uh, which seems bad. Um, so overall, no, I'm, I'm not interested in all of him. I've, I've heard people bring him up. I think he's, you know, he's a big name. Uh, you know, four seasons ago, he was the biggest name in free agency. The Suns almost landed him, yep. which I think is why he gets brought up a bit. Uh, that's a weird, that's a weird alternative history to go down, isn't it, David? <laughs> the Suns would have gotten Lamarcus. That's a, that's a did you know segment for a, a later time, I think, Max. Yeah, seriously. But yeah, no, overall, not, not interested at all. As uh, I'm also not interested in the next guy you're going to bring up, David. <laughs> Aaron Gordon, another guy with Arizona ties who I am not that keen on, although he did audition very, very well in the game mm-hmm. against Phoenix the other day, Max. Yeah, he really did. He also has a really attractive contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 19.9 this season and actually declined over the next two, 18.1 and then 16.4 yep. in 21-22. So I think he's... The nice thing about him is if it doesn't work out here, he's probably still pretty tradable because um, he's young too. He won't be, uh, he'll be 26 in that final year. Yep. So he's not going to be somebody that is a huge tax in your team uh, from a cap space perspective. I think he's more of a tax in your team from a team building perspective. I, I don't think he makes a lot of sense with DeAndre Ayton, uh, despite again, what we saw as you brought up the other night, he's not much of a shooter. Uh, he's one of those guys who has like hot stretches that tricks people into thinking he's a shooter. Yep. And then every year at the end of the year, when, you know, when regression happens, he's just not. A good shooter. Uh, he's also my biggest problem with him, David. Uh, as a young player, I like to see young players improve every season. I feel like he's been about the same level of player for the past three seasons. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I mean, my absolute favorite uh, dunk contest guy. I think he was still robbed in mm-hmm. that one versus Zach Levine. Uh, still only twenty four years old. As you said, really attractive contract. Um, but you know, this one's kind of the antithesis of of your main point for this podcast in terms of looking at what other teams actually want instead of just being selfish with your own team. You know, Orlando are in a playoff fight on their own. Ask yourself, guys, what does Phoenix possibly have that Orlando would want right now to help their team uh, and trade Aaron Gordon? I just don't see it. And on top of that, I just don't want to watch a team that has both Kelly Oubre and Aaron Gordon in there. So unless there's a trade there where I guess we send Oubre out and have Gordon come back the other way. But yeah, I just don't see it, Max. Yeah, Uber is a lot better than Gordon, so I hope there's some other stuff happened in that trade. <laughs> but uh, I here's I think I could see it in this one scenario. If Jonathan Isaac blow, keeps blowing up and turns to a star, Mo Bamba starts to you know show some signs that he's actually going to be a player for them, and Fusevich comes back yeah. and starts playing well for them, then they kind of have a logjam there. Maybe you know given their guard issues, they wouldn't mind like a Tyler and then maybe like a Mikel because they love long armed guys. <laughs> yep. um, I could see Ty- Tyler Johnson, Mikel Bridges for him maybe makes sense at the deadline. If all those things happen, uh, I would be mortified by the trade, but it wouldn't shock me that Orlando would want to do that. So maybe that, but you know, overall, 
Um, he it makes sense to talk about him because I think Orlando, uh, you know, gave him that contract with trading him in mind at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, he'll he'll come up a lot, but I think you and I are both pretty negative on him. Yeah, I am not looking forward to the podcast where Mikael Bridges gets traded for Aaron Gordon, Max. Hmm. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> uh, how about some uh, less discussed guys, David? Some guys you and I, uh, we perused the league. We wanted to look for some guys that haven't been talked about very much. Do uh, you want to start with uh, one of your guys? Well, I've got a question for you first. You know, we're talking sure. about starting power forward a lot. Let's say the team's happy with Dario. Uh, you know, he goes on a bit of a hot stretch here, particularly when DeAndre Ayton comes back. Ayton makes up for a lot of the, I guess, things that are frustrating us as Suns fans right now. You know, but we're still in this big playoff push with a, a number of teams, which we'll get into a bit later. But you know, what are I guess the the smaller uh, holes in the roster where you looked at potential fake trades. You know, for me, it's kind of uh, one small and, and one big. But before I give my answer, I'd like to hear what, what you think from that standpoint. Yeah, I looked at two things. One was just more shooting from the backcourt. Yep. Um, is something that I think that would be nice to have around. Uh, only one of those guys I have on here for me. The rest of them were more uh, either power forwards or rebounding. I think rebounding is a big problem. Yep. Toughness, sort of, yep. among our forward rotation. That's kind of the main things I was looking at. Yeah, so uh, as well as a, a couple of other, I guess, power forward names, I was similar. I think they could do with like a, a six-man, I guess, the the kind yep. of role that I hope Tyler Johnson was going to play for this team, but uh, he's benched at the moment and may you know, get traded. So they could do with uh, some backup there and maybe just a backup vet point guard. I know we've got like a, you know, ton of guys at the end of the bench at the moment and we all love Ty Jerome, but just seeing him struggle the last few games, you know, particularly if they are trying to pick up as many wins as they can and stay off in the hunt and just adding another vet, even if he's not playing, if it doesn't cost you very much to this locker room, I think would be worthwhile. And then you touched on the other one there, whether it's, you know, shooting or just a, a big body rim protector because we've seen it, you know, obviously Aiton's out at the moment and that's compounded with Baines being out. But, you know, we've gone into some games with, you know, only two bigs and neither of them can jump. So, you know, the Suns could look at making a small move at the the end of the roster as well from that standpoint, I thought, Max. Yeah, I want to build on your point about the guard, the backup point guard. I absolutely agree with you. And the thing about that is that you're, on this team, your backup point guard is not going to be your backup point guard always because Rubio ain't going to play every single game, yep. as we're seeing. Yep. So it's even more important to get somebody who you can trust to come in and spot start a little bit, which they don't have right now, David. I agree. I, Ty Jerome, I'm the captain of the fan base right now for him. But, you know, he, I'd say the strengths and the negatives have shown through very brightly so far mm-hmm. with him. Um, he, I don't know whether the ankle is bothering him or not. He definitely is getting a little overwhelmed out there, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that maybe, you know, when the ankle improves and when he, now also, you know, he's just not used to the speed of a, of a game that matters in the NBA yet. Maybe as he adjusts to that, it'll get better. But right now he is not somebody you can rely on to spot start for you. Yep. Very much agree. But how about you throw your first favorite name out there, Max? Sure. I think my favorite one of these is because he's on a team that we were just talking about, uh, so much the Cavs and it's not like a natural fit necessarily, but it's a low risk. Tristan Thompson, 18.5 million free agent next season, age 29. More of a center, but could kind of be in a big rotation with uh, Aiton and Baines, especially when Baines is hurt. Yep. Uh, he would fix the rebounding problem, I think, in a lot of ways. <laughs> He's a fantastic rebounder. Doesn't fit the whole shoot and move the ball thing that Monty likes to do, but 
he is kind of the, one of those guys who will bring the things you don't necessarily have. Yeah, he's a, a great third big, as you say, that can yeah. kind of play power forward and center if you do get into a scenario where some of these other bigs are, are off the roster, but you've still got Aiton and Baines, then, you know, Thompson's a, a great third big in that rotation. It would be a, a short-term move that hopefully wouldn't cost you too much, but that really solidifies that part of the rotation, I think. So, yeah, I didn't think about that one. That That's an interesting one, I think. Yeah, that's one of my, you get him from Tyler in a second round pick, probably. Yeah. Is why you do it. I have a couple of those, but that's that's my favorite one of them. But uh, how about you go to like, your favorite one of them? Yeah, I mean, like you said before, I looked at bad teams or also, I guess, underused players. I actually looked at John Henson from the Cavs, just from a, ah. a third big or, or end of bench, you know, rim protector, not playing very much at the moment, has had his own injury problems, but you'd, you'd get him pretty cheap. Uh, but probably my favorite one, I'm going to throw an alternate power forward out there uh, that we didn't talk about in our main section that has started to come up a little bit. Davis Bertans from the Washington Wizards, Max. He is on my list. <laughs> I think he's... When I said Tristan Thompson's my favorite, it's my favorite because I think it's kind of like a likely thing and low cost. Bertans, my only problem with it, I think it's going to be really expensive. Yeah. Because he's been really good, David. He reminds me of uh, the Miritich one last year where yes. a, a, a really good contending team ends up giving up like, you know, four second round picks or, or a first for him. He's our new Miritich, David. He's the guy we're going to talk about every podcast. He'll never come here. We're just going to talk about him all the time. He'll, he'll go to Europe this offseason instead of dying somewhere. 40, 45% from three on 8.3 attempts is at the moment. Yep. Uh, and Washington suck. So, you know, he is going to be on the market. Maybe not around December 15. Maybe more of a trade deadline one. But, yeah, when you look at, I guess, a backup power forward being still a whole on this team when everyone comes back healthy because essentially Frank will slot back into backup power forward and he's not really hitting well, except from straight on, which I tweeted out earlier. All the bigs are still hitting (laughs) from a ridiculous clip from straight on, Max. But yeah, he's probably my favorite. Uh, As I said, John Henson's there and I'd throw Trey Lyles out as well as a, I guess, a a big rotation guy uh, not playing for the Spurs at the moment, also on an expiring deal, Max. Yeah, Bertans, <laughs> the thing about him is that he's actually been playing pretty good defense too. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be very sought after, is my guess, um, because he's been really good and a lot of teams could use him. Like if I'm the Clippers, if I'm any of these, uh, Milwaukee, any of these contending teams, I'm all after him. Yep. Um, I, it's just going to cost you a lot. That's probably, like, you can't give up Mikel for him because he expires this season. Yep. Um, you're probably, I mean, he's 27 too, so you're probably planning on signing him long-term. He only has early bird rights, I looked up and noticed. Yep. Um, so it's, it's a tough one, but I mean, man, he's a really, really good player. It would improve us right away. Um, I'm going to go to my next one. I can't take credit for this one. I Somebody else brought this up in a reply to me on Twitter a little while ago. Yep. So can't remember who it is. If you're listening to this, uh, tell me so I can give you credit. <laughs> uh, he is JJ Redick, David, of the New Orleans Pelicans. He makes 13.5 this season, 13 next. He fits that shooting from the backcourt thing I was talking about. Yep. Um, maybe even could start in spot start situations with Booker being the point guard. Uh, he'd be a great guy to have, you know, as like the uh, point book other guard. Mm-hmm. Um, issue with him, he's 36 next season. Ooh. There's a, a chance he falls off the cliff a little bit. But he hasn't so far, David. As Suns fans have seen in the games against us, he's uh, he can still light it up. He has lit us up. Uh, and I'm sure mm-hmm. Suns fans saw that and would be well on board with the idea, depending on cost. The other one in this realm is is Patty Mills, which I can't take mm-hmm. credit for either. Our good friend Zona threw that one out and 
uh, tugged on my heartstrings because if uh, you've got two Aussies on the team, Max, I'm definitely going to be all for it, particularly if they're playing together in a, in a kind of leading the second unit. I could get right behind that. But yeah, we're touching on it there. Sixth man shooter type uh, and James Jones loves shooters. So uh, I th- think both of those guys would be, um, you know, on a list somewhere for the Suns, I'm sure. Who did the hose you off of the Patty Mills trade? <laughs> uh, two more guys I have here. One I like a decent amount. Jay Crowder would be interesting to me. 7.8 million expiring. Yep. 30 next season would bring a little more toughness. Uh, play a little bit of small ball four. Makes some sense. Um, Marvin Williams. I just think you can get him for free, probably. Yep. He's $15 million contract. You could just trade Tyler for him in a second-round pick, probably. Yep. 34-year-old expiring. He's actually shot pretty well from three this year. Makes sense as a uh, power forward. That makes some sense to me, David. Yeah, I've always liked Marvin Williams and that Charlotte team's going in a different direction. Uh, I'll make sure I throw out all the rest of my names in case any of them come to fruition and I can brag. Uh, Reggie Bullock <laughs> hasn't played so far this year, but is recovering nicely from what I read. Uh, and the Knicks are a laughing stock, so you know you could potentially get him. He's got a non-guaranteed deal next season so he kind of fits that defender you know I've been saying it since the preseason they're probably a small defender short just to guard kind of point of attack guys with a little bit of size uh from that respect Chris Dunn as well 5.3 million he'd probably just be a Javon Carter on steroids essentially um you know you could have a look at him before uh he becomes a free agent uh, and as you know I like to to read tea leaves a little bit so we did try and trade for Dylan Brooks at some point mm. uh, in the Kelly Oubre situation, Max. So he's only on a $1.6 million deal that expires and he becomes a free agent. So depending on how Memphis still feel about him, they were willing to trade him last time. So maybe you could find some scoring in the Paddy Mills, JJ Redick mold that way. Um, but two more. Thad is not playing at all, and we talked about him a little bit as a starting power forward for the Suns in the offseason. The contract is kind of something I don't really love, but maybe you could reinvigorate his career. He's only playing 20 minutes a night at the moment for the Bulls, and they seem to have moved on already from him. And then here's my favorite wild card, Max. Uh, He makes $17 million this year. He hasn't yet played a minute in the NBA, and you would probably have to trade for him. Andre Iguodala. Wow. So my issue there is, is he even going to play for us? Like, he seems like a guy who only wants to play for the LA teams. And he's, I think, you know, it'd be one of those things where James Jones, like, just does it. He just trades for him and it's like, hey, all right, so you're really not going to play? Because I think if you reach out to his agent, he's going to say, no, Andre ain't playing for you. So it would be a risk. It's like, is he really going to uphold that promise and not play for you? That's exactly my thinking is kind of, you know, Memphis have been pretty forthright in the fact that they're not going to buy him out and you have to trade for him. So if all these LA teams just sit on it and don't do anything about it, you know, I'm not even sure the Lakers can trade for him you know, in terms of salary matching and things like that. So they're essentially waiting for a buyout. You obviously wouldn't do it unless uh, you got the guarantee that he was going to come, but maybe it gets so late uh, and he he wants to play and and that James Jones reputation kind of pays for itself again because I would just love him from a, you know, adding another vet, you're going to make a playoff push. Maybe you could convince him around that, Max. Yeah, I mean, he's a great player. It'd be interesting from that perspective. It would be tough with the whole wing rotation thing. I'm not totally sure what you do there. But uh, it would be, I mean, I would love having Andre Godal on the team, so I'm not going to complain about it. That happens. <laughs> That's it for me, Max. 
All right. Well, we gave you guys a lot of names, so hopefully you liked some of them. Uh, if you want, reply to our podcast Twitter. Let us know which ones you like the most. Uh, David, how about a little did you know before we move on to the leaderboard? All right, Max. Did you know Ryan McDonough and James Jones have the same amount of December trades despite one GM's career being five times the length of the others? Hmm. That's right. With the main theme of this episode, I decided to take a look at the Suns' recent history of making early season trades and found only one each for McDonough and Jones. Mr. Wheeler and Dealer McD only made one trade in the month of December, and it was hardly a memorable one either, Max. I think I could give you a hundred guesses at it. It is that hard, but I'm going to put you on the spot anyway. It was December 24, 2014, and McDonough traded someone out of Phoenix after their recent free agent signing wasn't working out. He's still in the league. Any ideas who might that have been, Max? Oh, man. No. Just, I thought I was going to try. Who was it? <laughs> it was Anthony Tolliver. Ah, there you go. Coming back the other way was Tony Mitchell. Maybe it was because it was the holiday season, but McD held on to Mitchell and didn't wave him until January 9 with no minutes logged for the Phoenix Suns. Mm. But weirdly, Max, I thought I'd find more from McDonough. Turns out Bledsoe came to Phoenix in July of 2014. Dragic, IT, and Knight all happened in February of 15. Keith left Phoenix the following deadline in 16, Tucker another year later in 17, and of course Bledsoe famously left again in November of 2017. So McD did all of his work at the February deadline or in the months of June, July, and August. Enter James Jones, Max. He signed Jamal Crawford in October before Juwan Evans and Eric Morland in December, and then came his very first trade as GM on December 16, 2018. Max, any guesses at which fairly obvious move that was? That was the blown trade that happened the night before, I guess, if you're saying that this is the one that actually happened, that turned into the uh, Ariza Ubre trade. And you have read this one perfectly. It was Trevor Ariza to Washington in a three-team deal with Memphis, returning some combination of Marshawn Brooks, Dylan Brooks, Austin Rivers, and Wayne Selden to the Suns, and Kelly Ubre going to the Grizzlies. A day that will go down in Suns and NBA folklore, where just about every Suns fan had a slightly different view on what went down and if the Suns would have wanted Kelly Oubre to begin with. But of course, as you said, Max, you were right. The real deal happened a day later on December 17, when a seemingly desperate Washington by this stage redirected Kelly Oubre to the Suns in return for Trevor Ariza, and Memphis were cut out altogether. We can take a quick time out here from the test, Max, and I'll throw you a different type of question your way instead. What's your take on it? Was Memphis mainly in the wrong and was Jones interested in Kelly but just didn't know he could get him originally? Yeah, that's exactly my take on it. It seems like most people are blaming Memphis for this um, around the league when you actually, you know, after it all settled down, that was kind of the thing that Memphis just didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think that's right. I think that I don't think, I don't think Washington and Phoenix were talking. I think they were both talking with, with Memphis. And once James Jones saw that Ubre was available, he's like, hell, what's, what's just a trade reason for that guy instead if they're willing to give him up? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think that's how the miscommunication definitely happened as well. But back on track, 
almost a year from when it happened, there are a few who would doubt the Suns somewhat luckily ended up in the best position. Not only did they end up with a better package than the one they originally agreed to, but also the better side of the deal overall. The guys the Suns didn't want, Marshawn Brooks and Wayne Selden, were eventually traded separately to Chicago for Justin Holiday. Both are currently playing basketball in China with the Guangdong Southern Tigers and Shandong Golden <laughs> Stars, respectively. The guy that the Suns didn't want, Austin Rivers, was still included in the deal, but made his way to Houston after being waived, or maybe he didn't want Phoenix, one of the two at least. The guy the Suns seemingly wanted as the prize for Ariza, I mentioned before, Dylan Brooks, went down with a toe injury that ended his 18-19 season about 20 days after the initial trade, and he has put up 13.2 points this season, but on just 39% shooting. But Max, the real battle, and this is where it gets interesting, Trevor Ariza versus Kelly Oubre, and just a couple more questions for you. Question one, which of the two following categories did Ariza beat Oubre out after the trade last season? Minutes, games played, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and points. Wait, so how many of these did he beat him in? Two. I would say games played and minutes. You are bang on. It was minutes 34.1 to 29.5, and games he shaded him just 43 to 40, with Kelly shading him on efficiency, leading to a higher points per game total also, despite the minutes deficiency. In fact, if you adjust everything to per 36 max to make up for Ariza, he only beat out Kelly to finish last season in one stat, assists. Every other counting stat, <laughs> Kelly had Ariza more than covered in. Fast forward to the 1920 season, where the 23-year-old Ubre gets two years 30 mil from Phoenix, and the 34-year-old Ariza gets two years 25 mil from Sacramento, with only a partial guarantee next season. So, Max, I'm going to ask you to give... Sorry, I'm going to give you some of Cali's stats so far, and I want you to guess Ariza's in the same category for this season. Are you ready? Oh, uh, let's do it. Points per game. Cali's averaging 17.1. What about Ariza? 7.5. 4.9. Ooh. Rebounds. Cali, <laughs> six boards a game. Ariza has how many, Max? Let's go with 3.3. Ooh, close. 3.6. Steals per game. 1.4 takeaways for Cali. Ariza, Max? 0.8. Ooh, 0.9 and a career low for mm. Ariza, Max. Assists, 1.5 for Cali so far. How about Ariza? Let's go with 1.0. <laughs> you went the other way now. 0.9 again, also a career low wow. for Trevor Ariza. Field goal and three-point percentage, 44 and 33 for Kelly. And Max, I won't test you on this one, but Ariza is 36% from both the floor oh. and from three. And that's almost entirely all his attempts now. So that's basically all Trevor Ariza is now, is a pretty average three-point shooter that can't do anything else on the floor. And finally, games played and minutes per game. Kelly has averaged 31.7 minutes a game, playing all 22 games this year. Max, what about Trevor Ariza? Um, I don't even know. Just keep just keep embarrassing for me. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> He's only played 14, which I was surprised about, and 21.7 minutes per game. So, Max, I think it's fair to say the Suns have won that trade. Whether they meant to or not is a whole different did-you-know segment for another, na another day. Sorry. 
But you know, I like to wrap these up nicely before we move on. So I'll leave you and the listeners with this. Today is our 71st episode of 7 Seconds or Less. It is also December 9th where I am and December 9th by the time most people listen to this where you are, Max. And you know what December 9th is, Max? What is December 9th, David? It is Kelly Paul Oubre Jr.'s birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Kelly. And in a present to him and all of us Suns fans, the Suns are just four games away from Aiton's return against the Clippers. And guess what, Max? That will be Oubre's 71st start in the NBA for our 71st episode. So let's talk about the team a little bit more now, shall we? In the annals of your weird connections, that wasn't going to be underrated. That, that was quite a weird connection. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's go on to the leaderboard. Each week, we rank the five best Suns players for the previous week. Uh, five stars, the best. One stars, the worst of the best, I guess is how I'll phrase it. <laughs> uh, David, do you have anything to give uh, in terms of background here, or are we diving into it? Uh, I can just give you a very, very quick leaderboard, which is Devin Booker, well and truly out on top at 670 votes. Kelly Oubre is next best at 375. And then I'll just run through names quickly. you got Rubio third, Baines fourth, Saric fifth, Kaminsky sixth, Cam Johnson, Mikhail, and then you get into the often or rarely used guys after that, Max. All right, let's get into this week. I'll start off at five-star. It was hard for me this week, David. Uh, I asked you after the Hornets game whether I can give Oubre six stars. <laughs> um, so it's hard for me not to give him the five here. He's been good in all the games. Basically, he stole the Hornets game, and that was a really important win. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he was the best player this week. I think that's my four-star player, but I think he was the most impactful just because he's won that game. Yeah, I'm with you in terms of Oubre's impact, but I looked at it a little bit differently. Uh, I'm giving him the five votes to Devin Booker. Uh, 9.5 free throw attempts, and we'll get into this in a little hmm. bit. But, you know, or maybe we can get into it now because I think we're kind of going to talk about all the, the games as we go through the leaderboard here, Max. But, you know, yep. did this week mark kind of a shift in the Booker-Rubio relationship a little bit, do you think, in terms of uh, who was, you know, handling the ball a little bit more perhaps? Interesting question. Yeah, definitely a little bit. I think they're just getting, I think Booker's getting a little more comfortable um, doing that. He was deferring to Rubio a lot. I still think they're going to go back and forth a lot, but I was. I think it's, it looks better to me, David. Yeah, put it that way. Yeah, I think that's a sign of it. Nine point five free throw attempts. You know, people were attacking Booker for not attacking enough, and uh, these last four games, I think he he really showed it. Uh, and then my four votes, actually, maybe I've robbed Kelly Oubre here, but I've gone Ricky Rubio because Max he had fifty assists to seven turnovers this week. Yeah, he was awesome. I have him at three here. Um, obviously, Booker at four. Uh, the Pelicans overtime, you can argue he swung that. Yep. So maybe he deserves just as much of an impact credit here. Uh, all three of those, these guys have been awesome. They've been clearly the three best players in the team this week. I wouldn't really be mad at anybody for putting them in any order. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Rubio was pretty outstanding. Uh, man, it's just too bad that Booker Rubio couldn't hit those free throws uh, towards the end of that Houston game, huh? Oof. I think they still lose the game because we couldn't, particularly Booker could not guard Russell Westbrook. So I think we're still going to lose that game. But, man, it would have been more interesting if they made that a three-point game there. Yeah, they used up all their luck in, in the Charlotte game, I think, and were probably yeah. not going to come out with that one, even if they hit those free throws. But it was a, a little opening that they had, and I noticed Booker took the blame for that. I think he missed five free throws in the whole game. And uh, he not only took a blame for missing his, but it rubbing off on, on guys like Rubio missing theirs <laughs> as well. So a little bit of leadership from book there, but uh, who was your four votes, Max Booker? I assume. 
Yeah, it was Booker. I just want to real quick on Booker just point out that he's now at 51% field goal, 41.53, 91.4 free throw. That's good for a almost 64% true shooting. I, I, I need you people who are complaining about Booker on Twitter to chill out a little bit, like a lot of it actually. Devin Booker's been ridiculous, especially for a 23-year-old player. Yep. They pretty shabby roster around him since the Baines Rubio stuff started happening. Uh, to be doing what he's doing right now, you know, you'd like to see him swing a few more games. But he's swung a couple, and uh, he's been really good lately. I think the nicest thing we've seen uh, so far, as I said earlier, is uh, his his slight turnaround here bodes well for the future. Yeah, and the last two games, you know, that many, he averaged 29.8 for the week on 52 and 40%, as you said. So after his down week last week, uh, you just mentioned it there. He's still hovering at 50, 40, 90 max. Yeah, he's been really, really good this season, guys. He's awesome. Um, let's go to two-star. Uh, we both had Rubio at three. We talked about him. I, well, I had, I had Rubio at four. I should just say I... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, we both had those. Those three we think are clearly above the, the next two, right? Can we say that? Correct. And I, I just... The only thing I'll say on Kelly uh, is I downgraded him a little bit for shooting quite poorly, but uh, clearly won the Charlotte game. So maybe I've robbed him a little bit. Kelly was doing the thing that we've talked about a couple times in this podcast where he makes the shots that count and makes himself look better. <laughs> yes. Um, Two-star player. It was tough for me this week. I went with Sharich eventually. I think he's just done a lot of Yelman's Ye- Ye- work mm-hmm. uh, without without any centers around him. Had a couple of good games. Not really anything standing out, but just kind of solid throughout the week. Yep, I'm with you on that. We agree. And he had 3.3 offensive boards. I thought he really ramped up his aggressiveness mm. uh, around the glass this week. And uh, yeah, I don't disagree. I thought he was very, very good this week, despite uh, not shooting great from three. Who you got at one, sir? I have got my guy, Mikhail Bridges, who had 13 points per game on 65% shooting from the field and max 55% from three. Yeah, that's nice to see, I will say, on a very low volume, but still, ni- still nice to see. I, when they go in, it makes me very, very... Nothing on this team makes me happier, David, than when I see Mikel Bridges make a three. Especially, that is the nicest thing to see. Especially when Rubio's rolling all, all along the ground, like in that Houston game, and, and throws it up to him. He just had to make that one or else Suns... You can't screw up that highlight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I went back and forth between Mikel and Cam, ended up landing on Mikel as well. Uh, I think he just was slightly better across the board, although I really wanted to see Cam Johnson in here because I like that player a lot, David. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, I guess I'd, I've got some other notes, just con- considering this is all we're going to talk about, the Suns, I guess, for this episode. I thought we'd run through, I guess, some of the guys that we didn't mention in our five votes, if you're keen on that, Max. Sure. So Frank, you know, he's getting killed. A lot of low-light plays, but he had 14.8 points. Uh, on 50% shooting and 34% from three this week. So, you know, he was poor. I was never going to put him in my five votes, but I was kind of surprised at his weak numbers, which are probably propped up from that really good game that he had at the start of uh, the week. And then, as you said, Cam Johnson, he shot 45% on, I believe, 5.5 three-point attempts a game this week, and he's 8.8 for the season per 36. So if he was actually playing you know, regular rotation minutes. He's kind of, I tweeted this out earlier in the week, he's up there with kind of the most frequent uh, three-point shooters in the whole NBA. You know, it, you know, hmm. all the, the guys that are in the nines, you know, Harden's ridiculous up at like 13 or something like that. But, you know, guys like JJ Redick, Luca, um, all your efficient guys are, are around the eight or nine three-point attempts a game. So he's getting them up and he's uh, one of the best efficiency-wise as well, Max. 
Yeah, I think that's actually a stat people don't look at enough. It's a pretty simple one. It's three points attempted. <laughs> getting them up is almost, in a lot of circumstances, as important as making them yeah. in a lot of ways, especially for big guys. So that is important uh, to point out. Frank, I don't want to linger on this. I just He's definitely just not in the right role for himself right now. I don't think he's like you know necessarily done for this season as a contributor, although I think Diallo is probably better in this limited role that he's going to have. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I just I can't watch any more Frank starting center. It's it is uh, terrible. Uh, all right, should we move on to general NBA, David? I just throw two more questions your way. When Aiton's okay. back, it, it's it's really looming. What's the one or two things you would like to see from Kelly Oubre? Because he's kind of taken that second scorer role and done it pretty well. But you know, Aiton's gonna be that guy when he comes back. Maybe not straight away, but you know, that's what they should be planning for. So, what aren't we seeing from Kelly very much that we kind of want him to ramp up when Aiton's back, Max? He's gonna get a lot more uh, three-point spot-up opportunities, I think, because the Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiton pick and roll yep. will create those. Yep. Especially because I don't think teams will respect him as a shooter the way they respect like a guy who's established himself as a shooter. So he's going to have some shots. I'm going to look for him to make a higher percentage that he's making right now. I'm not sure what he's at right now, but it's not great. I think it's low 30s. Um, so to see him uh, hit those, that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, I, I agree. And just really ramp that defense up. You know, we see it in yep. really small patches. He had some good defensive possessions last night against James Harden and some bad ones. So I just want him to, to really lean into that. And finally, before we move on, what what did you think about Monty for the week? You know, we talked about Ty Jerome earlier, so I won't needle you too much on that. You know, I think they have to persevere a little bit longer, let Ty get acclimatized. But, you know, Tyler's basically not playing at all. He threw him out for like a minute against Houston and then pulled him again. You know, just the overall rotations this week from Monty. Is there anything to worry about long term? I don't think long-term. I think he's seeing what he has with Ty Jerome. I'll get worried if he doesn't adjust to having Ty Jerome out there only when there's another playmaker out there. Yeah, I, He cannot be your primary playmaker right now, whether it's the ankle, whether it's him adjusting, whether it's just going to be a long-term thing with him. Mm-hmm. He just gets overwhelmed. Um, so you need him off the ball right now. He can be a great secondary playmaker. He can be a spot-up shooter for you, yeah. a floor spacer. Yeah. I think that's his role right now. I don't think a guy with the ball in his hands a lot is the correct role for him at this stage of his career. Yeah, 100% agree. I think Monty's, you know, and it's been out of necessity, just had to kind of tinker with things a little bit. It's going to be really interesting to see if he settles on a bit more of a, um, you know, solid rotation when DeAndre Ayton's back. I just haven't loved, I guess, the combo of guys that he's been putting out there, which you alluded to there, just platooning guys a little bit too much. I think he can filter in Cam and Ty and, and stuff a little bit uh, more smartly that uh, doesn't, I guess, hang them out to dry, as you said, is what's happening to Ty Jerome at the moment. Yeah, very much agree. And I, I hope, I, I got to think Monty's going to watch tape and realize that he's just been experimenting with them. Yep. And I think we'll see that sooner. You know, Monty's made the adjustment so far, so I don't see why he wouldn't make this one. Yep. All right, let's do it. Okay, uh, general NBA landscape, Dave. I think we just want to start with a little bit of a look at the West. Kind of, we've been fo- we've been tracking this each episode. What, what do you think has been the major uh, shifts so far, or not so far, but in the last week? Uh, Dallas is gone. We can we can put that one to bed. <laughs> yeah. The whole uh, let's wait two or three weeks scenario over the last. They're currently second in the NBA at sixteen and six, or second in the West, I should say. Uh, but my question for you here: If Dallas is gone. Can we maybe drag Utah into the mix, Max? No, I'm not ready to go there yet. I get their, their recent play has been atrocious. I think they, they got a win the other night against Memphis, but uh, they've just been getting killed by teams. To be fair, a lot of really good teams. Mm-hmm. To me, this seems like just one of those midseason swoons for a team. They're still 13, 13 and 10. 
Uh, so a positive point differential, although it's worse than ours, which is interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I expect them to figure out. I don't think Conley's going to be this bad all season. Um, I don't know. I just have a lot of faith in the roster. I think the roster's good. That's why I wouldn't bring them down. But, I mean, they're definitely on the uh, watch list for that, David. Yeah, for sure. Which, you know, if we're not dragging them down, I still think it's a, a group in six at the moment. If you look at the standings, it's just a different six. It's Minnesota, Phoenix, OKC right behind. The Spurs and Portland have picked up a few wins. And the Kings dropped back after I pumped them up last week. So all those six teams, I believe, at the moment are within two games of each other, Max. Yeah, that seems like the list. The Pelicans are just digging themselves such a hole here. <laughs> That's bad. Kellen pointed that out the other day. Like Zion's coming back, but it, I mean Zion's going to have to be absolutely ridiculous to pull them out of that. It's probably not going to happen. It's probably safe to write them off at this point. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I'll just I won't f- focus on Dallas too much, other than to say that Dallas is trying to put themselves in the contender conversation, not the West playoff borderline conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My first question for you here was going to be about Utah, but I think you've given that away. I, I, I was going to say, you know, take $1,000 of your own money that you had to bet whether they made the playoffs or not. I think you've made that. Oh, I would I would bet more than that yeah. than they made the playoffs. All right, so then take all of those winnings, Max, and you have to reinvest it on this next question uh, with your head rather than your heart. Two teams out of that group of six, if it's your own money on the line right now, who are you picking to make the playoffs? I mean, it's the two teams that are there right now, to be honest with you. Yep. Uh, it's the Timberwolves and the Suns. I think that the, the, they both both teams, and, and the Wolves have not gotten as much pub as because you know, we're, we're Suns fans. We don't focus on them. Yep. They've had a lot of uh, missed games from their good players as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Suns, obviously, we all know what's going on there. So I just think those teams, the fact that they're in seven and eight right now, and that they've you know not really had the most sparkling of luck this season. Yep. I guess I'll put it. I think they are best positioned to keep going. I also think that they have the, um, well, maybe other than Lillard, the best players of any of those teams. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that. Obviously, luck's going to play a big part for all these six teams as we go on. You know, it's not going to be one uh, within the next five or six games. It's going to be a marathon, as I keep saying. Yep. So I'm still worried about one of the Spurs or Portland just because they're the Spurs and Portland. So that's always, yep. you know, the math on that is going to be really hard. You know, I, I even lean to starting to go, you know, maybe one of uh, Minnesota and Phoenix and then one of Spurs and Portland just from a probability standpoint. But hopefully Phoenix can hold themselves as, as part of the conversation as long as we go here, Max. Yeah, well, I mean, not to jump to next week's podcast, there's a big one against the Timberwolves coming up. There certainly uh, is. And then I think they have Memphis. And then I think they play Spurs and Blazers. So this is going to be a really, really important stretch of games coming up here before uh, Aiton comes back. I, I, it'd be nice if Aiton was coming back today, David. <laughs> it really would. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you've touched on that. That's the homestand for this week, uh, or at least three of those four games before we probably podcast next. So we're going to have a lot to talk about, uh, about the Suns specifically on the next pod. But we did power rankings last week, but we kind of kept the conferences separate. So... To finish this one off for the general NBA section, I, I wanted to throw this question your way. If you kind of mix the two, what does it look like? So, you know, maybe what are your top five teams on your power rankings for the whole NBA right now, Max? Sure. I haven't prepared this, but I think I can do this on the fly. Uh, I think Milwaukee has established themselves as the clear one by a lot. That 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 ass-kicking of the Clippers was <laughs> yeah. just... It was, it's just amazing, man. Giannis Antetokounmpo has somehow gotten better for the fifth straight year or sixth straight year, however long he's been in the league, um, which is almost unprecedented to get better every single year like this, especially at this level of play. Yeah. So, I mean, Giannis, anytime you got Giannis healthy, you can beat anybody in the league. They're, they're a force. 
Um, I'll do my second, and then I'll let you do two. We'll go we'll back and forth okay. a little bit. Yep. Uh, I think it's hard now to put the Lakers second. I think, and you know, there were some smart people making this point before the season. So to give them credit, they were right about this. Any flaws you see in the Lakers roster, that's all fine and good. But when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team, you're going to be very good. <laughs> that is very, very true. And that's kind of why I reverse it. You know, Giannis is incredible, but, you know, the second star on that team just isn't the level of Anthony Davis and LeBron James right now, and particularly the way they're meshing uh, and putting up numbers themselves. So I've still got the Lakers at the top as, that, as much as that pains me to say and Milwaukee at two. And already, you know, you mentioned the Clippers there couldn't guard um, Giannis, even though they had PG and, and Kawhi playing. i kind of projecting all the way forward to the finals already, Max, and, and kind of wondering what seven games of Anthony Davis guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo looks like. Man, that would be, that'd be a fun matchup, man. <laughs> yeah, I kind of think, I, I do, I would favor the Lakers in a, in a playoff series, I think, for that reason. I think the matchups would be good. Yeah. Um, but man, that would be something. And I'll just point out real quick before moving on to the next couple guy, uh, next couple teams that uh, look at the Bucks schedule. Monday, December sixteenth, they're versus Dallas. Thursday, December nineteenth, the next game for them, they're uh, playing the Los Angeles Lakers Ooh. on TNT. So that will be a fun little stretch to assess what the Bucks are actually, uh, what they actually are this season. Yeah. But uh, let's move on to number three. Number three is a little tougher. I think I, I still have the Clippers there. Yep. Despite a couple losses, I'm just projecting forward with them. They are uh, they're they're star stacked, David. They really are, and I, I totally agree with you on this one. And uh, yeah, I've done you a, a little bit of a disservice here making you do it on the fly, but it does get a little bit tricky from here. So I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it. I'm going Toronto 4 just because I think it's super impressive uh, what they've done so far. They've got Kyle Lowry back now, uh, and then I've thrown Boston at 5. But that fifth spot, Max, it probably could have been any number of maybe three or four teams. So I'll be really interested to see what you go with here with your four and five. And just to give you a little bit more time, I'm very surprised. No, I'm good whenever you're ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm kind of surprised, you know, just you, we talk about the East and the West all the time. I think the bottom of the East is still a lot worse than the West. But uh, the fact that I'm looking at my five best teams here and, and three of them are from the East is somewhat surprising to me at this point of the season, Max. It is. I think the East is, um, at the top at least, as good as the West. I know Bill Simmons has been saying the top six of the East is better than the top six of the West. Not sure that's true, but it's, it's definitely an argument at this point, um, which is different than you can say for past couple seasons, I would say. <laughs> um, it's interesting. So I've sorted the teams by point differential, which I think at this point in the season, is, is it starts to be impactful. Yep. There's less uh, outlier games in there. Uh, Milwaukee's killing everybody, 13.6 differential. Next closest at 10.3 is the Dallas Mavericks. So I think it just based on that, based on the fact that I believe that their offense is still like historically great. I think it's being ranked right now. I think it's the best offense of all time at this stage. It's still early. Uh, I think I have to have them number four. Um, I don't think I'll have them number four at the end of the season, but you know, some of this has to power rankings have to take into account what's going on now. Yeah. And uh, Dallas has been really, really, really good. So I'm going to have them four. Mm -hmm. Um, Toronto is fourth in this metric. Lakers are third. Um, and I agree with you. I mean, also Toronto hasn't had Kyle Lowry for a large portion of the season. Or, or Serge Ibaka, I think. So they haven't had a lot of their guys. They're still rolling. Um, they're really well coached. Siakam's a monster. I think that they are... If they make, if they can make like a nice win-now trade at the deadline, they actually put themselves in the uh, finals conversation, in my opinion. It's hilarious how much uh, their season mirrors last year. You know, we were talking about it. I predicted it. You know, I kind of rode them yeah. all the way, hoping that they would make a trade like the one they did for Marcus Gasol. And now... They're kind of sitting in the exact same position again, albeit without 
Uh, Kawhi Leonard, probably the best playoff player in the last five or six years in terms of a guy that you can count on at that time of the year. So uh, that's a really interesting point from you in terms of what Toronto might be able to add uh, for another playoff run. But at the moment, even without that addition, they are very good and uh, worthy of being in both of our top fives, I think. Yeah, absolutely. More of the surprise teams of the season, I would say. I don't think anybody <laughs> saw this coming, especially without Kyle Lowry. Uh, anything else to say on the general NBA? Are you ready for seven seconds or less? I am ready for you to put me on the spot. Seven seconds or less is the segment where one of us asks the other three questions for which he has less than seven seconds to answer and has not prepared. First question, David, of all the moves we discussed today for the Suns, which one of them has the highest upside for this season and what is that upside? I think the highest upside move would be trading for Blake Griffin. And I think yep. that upside would be that we would clear the bubble. So we would put ourselves uh, into, and again, we're talking upside here. So Blake plays the whole season healthy. Uh, we've got no concerns with injuries. Aiton comes back and looks good. I think we clear the bubble, Max, and, and we're a playoff team. Yep, agree with your assessment on both counts there. Uh, similar question of all the moves we discussed today, which has the highest upside long-term, and what is that upside? Uh, I don't want to be boring, but it's probably Blake Griffin again, Max. Because yeah, I think, you know, you know, if all goes really, really well, even this season and beyond, uh, and they mesh well together, they, they put themselves into, you know, not only clearing the bubble, but being a very, very good team. But... You know, I'm taking more than seven seconds here, but you know, I guess to to go another route, maybe um, Gallo, uh, you know, signing on, doing really well for this season, and then re-signing longer term uh, for the Suns would probably be a pretty good one as well. Yeah, especially if they could somehow get him at a reasonable number, yeah. which is unlikely given how bad the free agent market is this season. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that would be nice. Um, Final one, a little different here. It was a great question I was asked on the Combo Basketball Podcast I was on. I don't think it's up yet, but that was it was good. I mean, I recommend that guy. He's really good. Um, but what is the thing the Suns are most missing on their roster that would help them take the next step to become like a legitimate, this team can be talked about as a contender kind of team? I just think they're missing a third scorer. You know, Kelly Oubre's mm. been great. We haven't had Aiton, so we've been missing that for sure, but... I just don't trust Kelly Oubre at the moment as a consistent scorer. That's why I love a guy like Gallinari. Like that, he's done that his whole career, Max. Like you can literally rely on him to not only be a shooter but a, a consistent scorer. He's averaged 16 points per game for his whole career on pretty decent splits from three in particular. So you know, I think that's what they're really missing to make the leap. I think those frustrating nights where we miss out on a win that we probably should have got, it's because we just lack that um, you know extra punch, which Aiton's going to give us, of, of course. Yeah, my answer on that podcast was somewhat similar. I was a little less kind to Kelly. I just said we just we need a second like ball handling, creators on shot score yeah, guy besides yeah, Booker, yeah. Um, because it's just too much pressure on Booker right now. And it, so if they got like you know like a Beal or something like that. That's kind of what they're missing, in my opinion, in terms of being you know a team that is serious contender. Uh, please, as always, everyone rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me at MaxMCC11. You can follow David at the four point play david anything else nothing to add we'd love to read some more reviews out in this section and and probably in particular would at this point like to hear you know what the listeners are liking and not liking from us on the pod so feel free to include that in your review as well and we will definitely take it on board guys 
Yeah, we're always open to suggestions. Maybe we'll do a mailbag or something soon. But if you have any ideas for things you'd like us to talk about, uh, always happy to listen to those. Thanks, everybody.